then we moved into confession. The reason that we do that is because our sin has to be dealt with. Like there does have to be a solution where otherwise we stand in judgment now and forever. And so maybe this evening, right, as, as we even just lingered, right, for even a couple of minutes, and, and I don't know how long it felt to you, it wasn't that long, um, but even just a little bit of silence can, can, can disrupt our soul, right? Of like, okay, it's been long enough, Paul, to close this time. Um, but then maybe our temptation tonight was to think, if I don't have any outward sin, if I don't have any sin that people see or that they know, or that's clear-cut, that's just real immoral, maybe we didn't feel like we had a lot to confess when we can have sin deep within us that we are so comfortable with that we've just kind of glossed over and forgotten that it is not pleasing to the Lord. That we've walked in independence, right, rather than deepen. We've tried to produce fruit on our own. And last we find ourselves weary from trying to wring out spiritual fruit from our own effort. Like, that's what I was doing. Okay? That was, that's my confession. God, sometimes I just try to do it on my own. To think that having enough knowledge or enough understanding would bring something when we're dead. And we need God to breathe forth life. And how dare us think that we can do that? that we would confess both huge sin and small sin, right? that we would confess public sin and private sin, that we would profess immoral sin and maybe just spiritual sin. And all of that. Um, I think many of us know the story of, of Jacob and Isaac and Esau in Genesis 25, and we can often laugh at, at Esau giving up his birthright just because he was hungry, like he couldn't wait just a little bit longer for a meal. And yet for us to be reminded that, that it, we are Esau every time we choose our sin over God. Right? That we are taking this lesser, temporary thing and saying, hey God, this is better than you right now. And as offensive as that feels and it sounds, and because and, we would never say that, that that's what we're doing when we're choosing temporary, fleeting pleasure of sin, of, of dependence, of self-righteousness over the glory of the mercy, the grace, and the peace that God provides. So we confess and we lament. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we were dead in our sins until the grace of God breaks in, and that we were a people in verse 12 without hope, right? that we were far off from Jesus. Genesis 3 tells us that there's a promise that there would be one, even as the curse was being revealed, that there would be one who would come who would stomp on the head of our enemy. But it would also remind us that in the, that moment, he would be struck as well. Right? And sometimes we look at the, the, the crushing of our enemy's head more than we are reminded of the striking of the hill of Jesus. So I want us to read a couple passages this evening to be reminded that after some 30-plus years of living a sin, sinless life, um, and this is how... Uh, Acts in chapter 2. Listen to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Right? This Jesus who lived perfect and restored things and did miracles 
and was the one that we've longed for and needed. This Jesus, in verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Like that, That's why we're here this evening on Good Friday, not just on Sunday morning. That This is what happened to the sinless one, the perfect one, was that he was crushed and killed by lawless men, and yet that it was by God's plan for our good, for our redemption. And so we know that there was a sham of a trial, ramrodded through the night, right? that there was a lack of justice, and in that there was betrayal by one of his disciples. There was denial by one of his inner circle of Peter, saying, I don't know this man. There was mocking and beating and humiliation, disrespect, pain, and suffering. The disciples are confused as to why this is going on. And listen, this is Isaiah 52, to how Jesus is described even here. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. Verse 14, And many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Like, giving us this idea of, like, that he was going to be beaten and marred and broken. So we pick up in Luke 23, beginning at the end of verse 25, when it says that he, Jesus was delivered over to the people's will. Verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Right? Jesus is reminding them, listen, you have much to weep for. I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going, and I know what I'm accomplishing. Right? Like he knew. And yet he's telling them, you weep for me, don't weep for me. Weep for your own sin. For the fact that there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day, right, when our sins are dealt with and are paid right and it will either be in Christ or it will be on our own shoulders that we are the enemies of God at war with him so he's like weep for yourselves you need to be aware of the situation at hand so he continues verse 32 two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garment. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so I want us to turn and look in, in the midst of, of this and read from Isaiah 53. He is, as Jesus is breathing his last, Beginning in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Right? That, that we were to be looking for this day. Let's continue in Luke. We finish the scene. Beginning in verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breath. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they anointed and prepared spices and ointments, on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. It was a lack of justice in the whole scene. 
and yet we're seeing the hand of God at work. As He is bringing about our redemption. This is unfitting, right? It should, it should, like we see people screaming and yelling out in our culture for a lack of justice when the innocent, right, are persecuted or broken or hurt or harmed. And yet here is the only innocent one being harmed and broken where injustice, where a lack of justice screams. That it was not fitting and yet a rescue is occurring, right? That that, that it, the death of death is occurring even though we can't see it. It's not as anticipated, it's not as expected that something is taking place. That we're seeing here the hill being struck even as death is being crushed. Right? That we are living in the tension of that on Good Friday. And so we want this evening for you to feel the weight of this, to be reminded of, of the fact that to be hung on a cross was a curse as we've looked at in Second Samuel even recently the ugliness of it, the violence of it, the pain of it, and yet to also be seen love. That these things are hard to look at, and yet we desperately needed it. So we're going to look um, at the cross in this moment as we sing. Would you stand with us?